Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's cast, the Manager Tools Promotion Standard, 150%, Part 2. Okay, so that'll make sense to me. So now, how do we do it? How do we make sure this yeah. happens? Yeah, that was longer than I wanted to, to spend on on the standard, but it's a standard that'll last, right? I mean, it, it's one of those things that once we put the stake in the ground at 150, then then we can put out bunches of other casts about here's how you get people promoted, here are the things you need to do. And we alluded to one of them that's going to be in the future, right, is the idea that other people are going to be involved. You better be willing to lobby for your people to get promoted. Because if you want to become an executive, you got to get your people promoted. If you're going to get your promoted, you got to have other people on their side. How do you get them on the side? And part is showing what they've done at your level. And oh, there's all kinds of connections. It's like we're planning on doing this for the next 20 years. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> so, look, you're right. This is manager tools. So, how we do it um, is a big issue. Look, it's easy if you've been developing yourself, right? It's easy to get your directs promoted if you've been developing yourself. Just delegate to them. Delegate the right things and coach them. And if you find they can't handle everything, it might be okay to assign some of their lesser responsibilities to others on the team. And boy, I bet there's some people go, what? What did he just say? I mean, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we did say it. So let's talk about each part of that, okay? The first thing we said was delegate, right? Look, if they're going to do your job, you're going to have to give them some of your job to do. Many, I'm sure, of our longtime listeners are sighing right now, maybe even cursing, you know, we're going back to a, a part of the Trinity, right? You're thinking, wow, promotions, that's a new topic. Let's build a real case around all that and tell me all kinds of new things. No, it's really, you know, it's not terribly complex. It's not terribly interesting. Good management is boring. It's unsexy. It's unpretty. It's repetitive. And it works like a charm. Good managers man- master the basics and delegation is a basic. And when it comes to developing people, delegation and development go hand in hand, right? You don't need to create new work as we like to tell people at conferences, right? Here's what you do. You go through your list of responsibilities, takes a half an hour, break them into thirds in terms of difficulty and risk of somebody else doing them. I think we've talked about this before, right? Yeah, we have. Yeah. So hopefully you've already done this. Yeah. Eliminate oh, wait, the wait, bottom. Wait, wait, oh, wait a minute. You're the listener who listens and never does any of it and wonder <laughs> why you don't get any different results. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just talking to that one person out there. Just the, just, one just the one. Yeah, there you yeah. go. So you've got your list. Eliminate the bottom third of your job. Assuming by the, We're assuming, by the way, that your direct is already pretty close to 100% of their existing job, and it's not everybody on your team, so they'll be at least half, if not more, of your team that can take the bottom third, right? So eliminate the bottom third of your job that's on your list of dele- delegatable, de- delegable um, activities. Delegable. The, the, yeah, that, I think that's actually where delegable. The, the bottom third can go to other people. Focus on delegating from the middle third of your job to your most likely to be promoted directs, right? Now look, that's not ironclad. It's a good guideline. The key is to delegate assertively, even really maybe even to touch to aggressively to your top performers who are interested in promotions. Well, what if I already delegated all the middle stuff? Now what do I do? Well, give them top third stuff. Wow. That's some of my core responsibilities. You're willing to suggest that I I give some of those away? 
Yeah, I remember. Uh, I think I told this story at a conference once that that uh, A. G. Laffley, the recent, I, he may now no longer be the chairman. I think I think he's still the chairman, but he's not CEO anymore. And he turned the company over to Bob McDonald, and he had this. I mean, CEO to COO uh, of, of Procter and Gamble is eighty billion, maybe it's a hundred billion dollar company. It's gigantic. Right. And he said, I was planning on, you know, we have this plan that's going to take a couple of three years to get Bob ready, but he finished in 18 months. He essentially could do my job. Well, A.G. Laffley doesn't say he could do my job because Bob McDonald was giving, giving signs that he had the capability to do the job. At that level, you actually have to do the job to prove that you can do it because it's so complex. It's so subtle. It's so all encompassing. Right. So Bob McDonald, a former army ranger, gets to be CEO early. Now, part of it, part of it, Laffley admits, is also a function of the timing of the the economy and so on. But look, he had a plan at the top for his top, for his his most promotable uh, direct. CEOs do this for COOs. This is not just, oh yeah, he's ready and we like him and the CEO needs to retire. Bob McDonald, the chief operating officer of an $80 billion company, had a plan he had to go through working with A.G. Laffley. And A.G. Laffley said, oh wow, he was early. He finished everything he did early. And so if he's ready, why not give him the job? Right? And then that's, of course, the exact opposite mentality of most managers, which is, okay, he's ready. Now I have to start slowing him down so that he'll be, he'll be able to tolerate, you know, the, the wait until the promotions are ready rather than going out and finding the right opportunity for them. So yeah, you can give him the top third stuff. That's what, that's what AG Lavley did with Bob McDonald. Now look, could you give him in a different order? Could you give him part of your job in a different order? Sure. The key thing we're recommending here is think about your job, realizing you want them to be familiar and ideally be able to do and do well 50% of your role. And that means delegating at various times half of your responsibilities. Now, there are some times when jobs are somewhat overlapping, and so they may already be doing 10 to 15% of your job, uh, but maybe not interacting with the same people. And so you may already have a bit of a head start. So many of people we talk to, right, Mark, they, Mike, they say, Mark, I'm sorry, I can't do all this stuff. I'm a working manager. And we say, well, the problem is you should be a working manager rather than a working manager. So it's simply a function of sitting down, coming up with a list and asking yourself, what can I delegate? I suspect for the vast majority of managers, they will stop at the bottom third. And that is partially a function of egotism, which look, Mike and I have a little bit of me more so than Mike probably. And also a function of that first among equals thing. And you only have to do your job well, rather than doing my job well in order to get promoted. But remember, other people are going to make this decision. The more they see your direct doing things that you used to do, the more they're going to believe that they actually can do it. Well, I, I think one of the things that occurs to me that might be more difficult for folks would be to give those responsibilities that involve managing people to folks to delegate those tasks. For example, it's fairly simple to delegate one of my tasks, which it might be preparing a particular report, right? But if there are tasks associated with that report that involve managing a reporting team, that seems, I don't know, a little bit more difficult, kind of delegating the, the, the people part of it. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're right. And, and, and yet we do recommend you can delegate parts of your job that require you to manage, right? As a general rule, we try to recommend delegating whole responsibilities. And the reason for that is we found repeatedly that managers who delegate pieces of their job technically actually do delegate it. They do give it away. And then after the, what they do is they, they far over manage the process that the direct is involved in because the direct is just doing a piece of a larger whole to the point where very little stretch growability 
type tasks get done by the direct and there's not a lot of value. There's certainly a pair of hands mentality, right? In the consulting world, either you're advising or you're doing work. If you're doing work, it's called being a pair of hands and consultants generally are encouraged not to do that. Although frankly, the ideal is to be an advisor and then be willing to get your hands dirty because everybody contributes to success. Well, there's some value to that, right? I mean, they're getting exposed to a, a bit of the job, right? By doing one piece of it. Um, yeah, but if they're already doing 100% of their job, I would argue the exposure, they know you've been doing it to some degree. Look, they're not really learning. They're not doing any work that challenges them. And, and you know, if you want somebody to get promoted and the standard is 150%, you better be having them focus on things that challenge them. And if you're then delegating things that don't challenge them, that seems like a double whammy, right? right. Um, they're just a pair of hands, right? They, they don't get the bigger picture. They don't have to make decisions because bosses tend to, if there's a, if there's a part of a project delegated, the boss tends to hold on to the decisions rather than the actions, right? They just basically do what they're told. And, and bosses, look, look, uh, bosses pat themselves on the back for this. You know, yeah, they're working on something bigger. But the part or parts they are working on is or are notably smaller than what they would be doing on their own. And so we don't recommend delegating that in general. But but no, no look. A classic example of this would be a manager say, hey, I want to delegate part of this profit analysis project to you. I'll do all the heavy lifting. It might help you to prepare the deck and get me some numbers, right? That sounds good to me. He's going to get exposure to the new stuff. And well, that's good. Yeah. And, and in principle, right, it, it sounds good. We'd agree. What we found, again, in practice is that managers then provide little to no perspective to the work. They end up having the direct type the slides with little sense of really providing a contribution. And I've had direct say, I do all my boss's slides. And that just, I just, you know, mentally and sometimes physically, I roll my eyes. So one of the giveaways for this type of inefficient developmental delegation is short timeframes for the work. It's the focus on detailed work without providing perspective that causes this kind of behavior to be ineffective. So you can delegate parts of your job that require managing the team. You delegate a project that you've got and you say to the team, look, this is ours. And, you know, you would say to your team and Mark is going to run it. And I don't, you know, I, I go back and forth on Mark's going to run it for me. I said, Mark's going to run it. And on this project, you report to Mark. We're not going to do one-on-ones, right? You're not going to do one-on-ones with Mark, but Mark's going to be responsible for, for bringing this project in on time and on budget. And then I've got a responsibility to keep you posted, but everybody's essentially working for me on that project. Now, if they have problems with you, the great thing is I'm going to hear about that in or the great thing is, if they have problems with me, you're going to hear about that. Sorry, I got my pronouns confused. You're going to hear about it in your one-on-ones with them, right? This is a great way to find, I mean, really, delegating projects is a great way to find out whether or not your directs can, in fact, manage. So if you can find a piece of work that really does stretch your directs, does develops them, do it. Share the perspective. Let them do work they haven't done before. And the idea is let them do work they've done before while they're still working for you, Right? So they don't get that when they have been promoted and then they stumble and then you look bad. And that's exactly what happens. You look bad. So expose your best people. Don't hold back. Think of it this way. The stuff they do now will be done with your supervision, just like I said, right? They'll be better at it when they're promoted. Your peers and your boss will know they can handle it when they're better when they're doing it a second or third time rather than when they're doing it the first time. Yeah. You know, after you said all that, I can easily imagine in my mind two managers both who delegate 
like flipping crazy. They're delegation hounds, right? Right. On one hand, the first manager is just simply delegating the things that he doesn't want to do, right? It, it right. saves him time, saves him energy, and frees him up to do things that he thinks are of higher value. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that, right? right? Yeah. Right. And the second right, manager, man. yeah, she's a little smarter, right? She delegates not only those things that are necessary to get things off her plate so she can focus on the high value activities, but also thinks about it as a way of developing her folks, of getting her folks ready for promotion. Both delegate like crazy, and I'd suggest that I'd rather work for the second one. She's yeah, got her exactly. stuff together. Yeah. The additional criterion we encourage you to consider regarding what to delegate is what things give visibility to more senior people who might be involved in promotion decisions, right? It really, and it isn't that hard at first glance, right? Ask yourself what jobs you do that give you exposure to your boss and, and, and his peers or her peers. There is a caveat we're thinking about, depending upon the direct, is, look, if you're a frontline manager, you're supervising individual contributors, the jump from being an individual contributor to suddenly being exposed more regularly to directors and perhaps even VPs is much steeper than you probably realize. You have probably forgotten the distance you felt from directors and executives when you were an individual contributor, if you ever were. Ever were. So it's necessary to get them some exposure. But there's more risk and you may have to be, you may have to spend more time evaluating how they're doing. Now, that said, we've already talked about this. I, I, I'm pretty sure the cast has already come out. Delegate reporting, right? Reporting is something that by definition goes to other people. And when other managers and executives know that a particular person on your team is managing or preparing and handling your reporting, that's a way to show visibility. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, so you delegate stuff to folks, right? And uh, right. you hope they do well. But what about those things where <laughs> we delegate and they don't know quite how to do it? We just we just throw them to the wolves and, and let them figure it out on their own? There is a uh, fraternity and sorority of uh, many, many effective executives in the world that would say exactly. I mean, that mentality is, in fact, what gave birth to me. I was I was asked to do it on my own. The fact is, what's funny about that is all too often the people who are saying that are saying it in a, from a culture where there were all kinds of things done designed to put them in the right place, to give them the right job, to develop themselves. And they didn't feel, because they're not good at building a network, they didn't feel like they had a lot of people on their side. But privately, the organization is doing their best to encourage people to grow and develop and take more responsibilities. Because again, that's what executives do to ensure the continuity of the organization. Executives know they're going to retire and die. Other, somebody else is going to have to do it. Okay. On the other hand. <laughs> on, on the, the other, other hand. hand <laughs> yeah. We'd love to say this goes without saying, but it clearly doesn't. You can give up part of your job that you think a direct may not be able to do well or even at all if you're willing to coach them through the process, right? Sit down with them and say, I want to delegate X and I want to coach you on X too. Now, folks, uh, just so you know, those of you who haven't uh, listened to a lot of our shows, to be clear, what you think of as coaching is probably not what we think of coaching. When we say coaching, we mean, mean the manager tools coaching model. It's a four-step process. If you're wondering what it is, I will surprise you by saying you can coach every one of your directs in five to 10 minutes a week, literally, because coaching is not training. It's just coaching. Uh, and it's not you standing over them while they do it. Now, the important thing is your goal on the coaching of the uh, of this new skill, the new job, the new responsibility is the successful handoff of the delegation of that responsibility to the direct. Now, you might have to do a little bit more of the training than you normally would do, 
which is training, as I alluded to a minute ago, is a sub part of coaching. And we're going to, what we'll do as a way of addressing that, since we're touching on so many parts to Trinity, right, is uh, we'll put together some casts on some examples of coaching people on something delegated from the role. Look, this is how executives challenge their folks beyond what their folks think is possible or beyond what their folks know how to do the executive coaches them on it. And it may very well be that as an executive, it would be, I want to coach you on X and you're going to go to a two-week class at Harvard to learn that particular financial metric. And, and, and I can coach you on it by sending you to Harvard. Please don't suggest that Manager Tools said the definition of coaching is sending all your directs to Harvard. No, we yeah. would never say that. We would say, well, the first thing we say is go listen to the coaching podcast. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right. So in the outline, you mentioned that we ought to consider reassigning responsibilities. Now, that's yeah. kind of a tactic that's fallen out of favor a little bit with this, you know, mistaken yeah, and fairness. fairness management. Yeah, people people don't want to do that. Like, I, you know, me and Mike are peers and we work for Maggie. And, well, Mike can't do part of Mark's job because that wouldn't be fair if if Mike wants to get promoted too. Why are we weighing down Mike with Mark's job? That's just, frankly, bunk you know, you, people say, I can't delegate to my that to my top person. They're already too busy, princes. I lean on them too much already. And I've delegated inappropriately on things that are unimportant just to get it off my desk. Ooh, bad plan. So you're going to suggest that your boss just give it to Mike, right? Oh, great. Yeah. Give One. it to Mike. Don't give it to Mike. He, so Mark, he likes promoted. it. I get to pick Mike, up he, there. Mike, he likes it. Mike, he likes it. Yeah. So if I delegate to my top person and they're too busy, that might mean that they would come back to me and say, hey, can I give some of my work to somebody else? And the answer would be you know, managers and other people would say, well, that's unfair, right? It's not unfair. And if you've let your team believe that every person's job is sacrosanct and no one can cross-delegate, there are two things wrong with that. One Anybody can cross-delegate, and they, and frankly, they do privately. They just don't talk about it to you. And secondly, you absolutely can, as a boss, move things around depending upon the best use of the dollars, the resources, and the skills and abilities of the people who work for you. It's as simple as that. Why not have your best direct working on the stuff only she can do? Why not have someone on your team doing stuff that your best direct used to do but is less valuable than what your top direct is doing now, Right. Every job, including ours as managers, includes some things that someone else could do, right? And there's nothing wrong with sharing responsibilities. And if you've got somebody who pushes back repeatedly and say, well, that's then, then what I would encourage you to do is go find a job description. If they don't have it, write it. And the last line of the job description should be, and anything else the organization or your management team feels appropriate and reasonable. That's that solves that problem. Okay, look, look, okay. Here's how to address... The concerns about how the other person might feel. So look, you talk to them, right? Tell them you're realigning some work and they're now responsible for X, right? So in other words, I'm taking from Mike something in order to help him get promoted, in order to achieve the 150, I'm taking something from Mike and I'm going to give it to Maggie, let's say. I talk to Maggie, right? You know, and now I'm saying to Maggie, you're responsible for X. If it's something she needs coaching on, I got to coach her on it, right? And again, right. it only takes five, 10 minutes a week. Okay. So what if, what if Maggie, now Maggie would never do this, but what if this were a different Maggie and Maggie came back, pushed back and said, well, isn't that Mike's work? Why do I have to do his work? I mean, right. who's going to do mine? Yeah. Okay. So there's some pretty easy answers to that. Again, this is not risk-free manager tools. We're suggesting there's more risk in setting a standard of first among equals than there is in having this conversation with somebody because- 
you know, your top performer is, is fully engaged, right? What, what you would say is, no, this isn't Mike's work. It's the team's work, and Mike's been doing it. And we do move work around all the time. And you can probably come up with a couple of examples of stuff you delegated or stuff that's moved around based on vacations or sickness or whatever else. So you're not doing Mike's work. You're doing the team's work that Mike used to be responsible for. And I expect you to keep doing what you're already doing. And, and that may sound hard, but sometimes it takes a stretch to see where we can get better. And this is one of those times where I think this additional responsibility will stretch you and you won't ever stretch back because you'll gain new capabilities during the process. And you might go on to say, if you find you can't get it all done after looking at everything, come to me with an itemized list and we'll go over it. And by the way, folks, if, if this person you're rearranging work with is a manager and they can't figure out it's time to delegate to their team, then they're not a very growable manager. But on the other hand, think about what we're doing here. We're rearranging work so the top performer is doing top performer stuff, and we're thinking about delegating to the floor those things that a weaker performer would do. What would be wrong with that? Nothing at all. Yeah. Well, this seems like a pretty high standard. I, I suspect few meet it. Yeah, I mean, not not everybody is doing this. The best companies are. That they probably haven't put a number on how much of the boss's job they're expecting developing directs to handle, right? At the best companies, it's just a given that bosses delegate like crazy, right? People at GE say, yeah, they, they burn their people out. That's not what the top performers say. The burn people, top performers say, I had a $25 million budget and I was 25 years old. Ooh, that's great, right? Those companies that are really good at developing people, they think of delegation and development, development of their people as inextricably linked. That's just what you do. You delegate to develop. So 150 is our recommended standard. But look, if you're not one of those at one of those top companies, you know, as we suspect, right, you're not going to ever get to that 150%. Your company is going to see your direct handling things at higher levels and find some place to put them to better use. And you will have been the one that helped them get there. But look, here's the reason it's 150 and not 120, although you could argue it could be 120. It's just a number to, to, to focus the mind on the extent of the delegation. The problem is too many managers only prepare their directs for whatever standard the company needs, and then they stop, which, by the way, most companies aren't very good at describing exactly what it is they need. If your firm hits a soft spot in growth, promotions are going to slow down. By the way, the reason that happens is less new openings are created at the same time that less people want to leave. So suddenly there are more people fighting for fewer, fewer openings. And so promotions slow down, right? If you're happy with your direct who is doing a great job during a soft spot, in other words, you're not developing them, then they're not growing. And you're missing a chance to get more from them and show others how much better they are than other people. This is somewhat akin, this is the individual component of the manager tools race don't chase, right? During a downturn, you cut costs faster than your revenues go down so you can be profitable during the downturn, okay? Now, hopefully you're smart and you start attenuating your, your cost growth before your revenue curve starts to tip over. But once you achieve that point where costs go up, 
uh, and in, inadvertently cross the revenue line, and now you're losing money. You quickly get back underneath the revenue line, and you make money all the way back down. Same thing with developing people. You can develop people during a downturn, but if you think somebody's already ready for promotion, and then you hit a downturn and you don't do anything more, you're wasting that opportunity. And so why not give them part of your job to be working on during the downturn when things are a little softer, right? 150% as a mental standard, take care of both the growth and the opportunity. In other words, if they're still developing during the downturn, when the upturn hits, they're going to be the most ready because they've done the most of the next level job. Yeah, exactly. Most managers are simply trying to get to 100%. And look, what most managers do isn't inherently wrong. First, it makes sense. If you didn't know any better, you'd naturally assume that in order to qualify for the next job up in the chain of command, you'd have to do all of this one, right? I mean, that, right, exactly. Yeah, do 100% of the one you're in and yeah. you get the next one, right? Yeah, and yeah. you'd have to do it better than others. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, and in fact, I think those thoughts are unrelated to the whole first among equals or top performer kind of thing, right? But look, a different way of thinking about this is this is how effective managers think about promotions. You have to do your job and truly show us, not convince us, but show us you can do the next job. A lot of young people tell me today, I want to convince you of something. I say, well, show me. I guess that makes me old. I don't know. But it's like, hey, if, if you show me, I'll be convinced. If you try to convince me, maybe you will, maybe you won't, right? And showing is the key. We don't want to just guess. Yeah, we don't want to be guessing at it, right? We want to see it. We want to see know it, it yeah. right? Yeah, it's like, I guess this is the Missouri compact of management, right? The show me rule. <laughs> so look, the problem with the 100% standard that so many of us have is the Peter Principle, right? Recent conference we talked about, actually, it's been talked about the last several conferences. There are people who still don't know what the Peter Principle is, so let's go ahead and define it. The Peter Principle states that in a hierarchy, every employee tends to rise to his or her level of incompetence. To explain that, if you do your present job well, you get promoted, right? Or, or let's put it differently, yet the same with the contrapositive, which is if you don't do your present job well, you can't get promoted, right? So the only way you can get promoted is when you do do your job well, right? And what gets interesting here is when do we stop promoting somebody? You just explained it, right? When they're no right, longer the logic competent, right? it, they right? don't get their job done. When they're no, no longer competent. So I do my job now, well, I get promoted. I do the next job well, I get promoted. In the next job, I don't do it well. So therefore, by the contrapositive, I don't get promoted. Okay. Right. So then the, the Peter Principle says that everybody just keeps on getting promoted until they can't do that job well enough to get another promotion. So everybody is everybody yeah. is substandard. So everybody essentially. essentially stops and therefore is stagnant and therefore is at their level of incompetence, right? Perfect. Which is, I remember the first time I thought about it, I said, dear Lord, I mean, that is, wow. And I'll tell you what, I was probably 25 years old when I realized there was an interesting corollary to this, which is, if that is in fact true, and I think there are times when it absolutely is, it was much more true 25 years ago than it is today, I think there's much more willingness to talk to people about getting them out of the role they're not doing well. And, and by the way, it's not that people, managers are failing in a job, they're simply not performing at a high enough standard to get promoted, and in a way that is for an organization who wants to grow and continue continuity being an important part of an executive life, that is a form of failure. But what's interesting is that means other people who are exceptionally good are doing a lot more of the work. That's why top performers, you know, real true top performers and stars are constantly in danger of being burned out. But look, if the standard that we have in our head is 100% of the given job, 
there's no evidence, right? And quite frankly, because if we're doing well, we're going to promote somebody when they get to 90, right? There's no evidence in place that they can do the next job. And the chance for the Peter principle is greatly increased. They can't do the next job once they have the next job. And then unfortunately, they stay in that next job. So the 100% concept is inherently flawed in terms of long-term capacity development and continuity of the organization. Uh, Think of it this way. Imagine the interview your direct is going to go through to get the promotion. She's sitting there. She's getting questioned. Imagine that the accomplishments she's talking about in the interview are nearly all at the level of job she's being considered for, your level, not accomplishments from one level down, which is where she is now. That comes from you having delegated that to her. Don't you think successes at the level she's wanting to be at look notably better and sound notably better in an interview than successes that are by definition at a lower level, at a smaller level? The other managers who haven't delegated, who haven't gone above and beyond, are going to wonder why your directs are always getting promoted and theirs are not if you abide by the 150 rule. Yeah. Yeah. And and frankly, you'd be lucky. You'd be lucky if none of your folks who are merely performing at the 100% level don't get promoted because once once they get promoted, they fall into the next trap because your direct successes, once promoted, reflects on you as an executive. If they're not ready to do the next job and do it well, you're lucky if they don't get promoted. Yeah, exactly. They, you're happy they don't get promoted. But you, of course, you can't predict that unless you've given them a lot of the job, right? We're going to come back to this. I, I've alluded to this a couple of times today, the whole point of capacity and continuity as we explore more about management and executive life and decisions and, and development. For those of you who have been to a conference where we get to practice and we get to expand upon many of our core principles, they've heard Mike's story regarding promotions when he was an executive. At one point, every single promotion in his organization and the large organization he was a part of was one of his directs. Every single person who got promoted was one of his directs. He was seen as somebody who achieved two of the key behaviors for executives. Now, I hope when I say stuff like that, that people think, oh, maybe I need to write this down or maybe get premium content so I don't have to write it down. I can remember it. He was seen as someone who achieved two of the key behaviors for executives, achieving results and creating others who can also achieve results. And for those of you who have heard the story, many of you, but there are many of you, many more who have not, the way he did it, he asked for more from the people he had working for him. And then he asked for more again. He delegated. He thought about his directs, who could do what, and then he asked him to do it, and he held him accountable for doing it. And and frankly, if you know Mike, he didn't really think about being nice and about letting him off the hook, <laughs> because frankly, they would have given him crap about it. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been happy about you letting him off the hook, right? They didn't want to be let off the hook. And, and if they don't want to be let off the hook, you being, quote, nice and letting him off the hook, that's really not nice, in fact. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's, yeah. Good, good. That that makes it me feel better that I don't. Yeah, you were nice. You were nice. You were nice by holding people's feet to the fire. It's a really bad analogy, but the fact is the best people say, no, I expect you to. My feet are always to the fire and I don't want you getting between me and the fire. I want to feel it. And that drives me to be successful. Look, folks, if you want to be an executive and thought effective, it's not enough to be an executive, but if you want to be thought effective by other executives in that role as an executive, it's not enough to achieve results. It's not even enough to achieve results and retain your folks, though those two are good enough as a manager to be effective. You have to achieve results. You have to retain your team and you have to develop your team to be able to do what you do. This is how organizations grow capability. 
And that's how executives ensure the continuity of the organization after they leave, by growing capability. Again, it's not enough to achieve. You must build. And buildings take more than 100%. They take 150 Okay. Well, I said something earlier that something you said was the most important part of the entire cast. I <laughs> take it back. I take it Second back. most. The second one. It was the second most. This is the most important. Yeah, but I think most executives know this, whereas what we were talking about earlier was probably just something people wouldn't think about inherently, but I think- Yeah, maybe this uh, is the most important. Yeah. The other one was the most uh, insightful. So there. Insightful, yeah. Yeah, good. God, I was important and insightful in the same cast. Amazing. Holy God, wow. Note this, folks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so wrapping up, the manager tools promotion standard given for the first time here, 150% of their existing job, which is 100% of their job and an exceptional performance, and then 50% of your job as their boss to show that their ability to grow their capacity. The way you do it is by delegating, by looking for visibility, uh, visibility in the delegations, coaching on that part of the job that you're going to give to them when they need it, and consider reassigning responsibilities. It may be perceived as, quote, unfair, unquote, we disagree. And we admit this is a high standard and very few meet it, but the ones that are great do. And if you want greatness, this is a standard to aspire to. Most managers simply try to get to 100% and that leaves the Peter Principle and we don't want that. And never forget that your direct successes, once they are promoted, reflect on you as an executive. It's not just that people get promoted that makes you a good executive. It's that people get promoted and succeed that makes you an effective executive. So look, most managers rely on the organization to get their directs promoted. When a slot opens and you're ready, you're going to get the call kind of thing, right? The problem with that mindset is it gives the opening of a, quote, slot, unquote, primacy, right? That the, the slot is what drives things. And unfortunately, we think that creates passivity in managers and in directs. Effective managers and executives know that promotable directs create opportunities and in order to have a promotable direct, you have to develop them to be promotable, which is more than just their existing job. Opportunities do not go looking for readiness. Readiness creates opportunities. If you're waiting for an opportunity to knock, somebody else has probably already won that job, as you mentioned earlier, Mike. How do we get our folks ready now rather than ready next? We get them ready to do half of our job. We delegate, we coach, we stretch them. Having, as Mike has said before, having a bunch of former directs as your peers makes you first among equals and a future executive as well. Awesome. Thanks, friend. I enjoyed this one. My pleasure, partner. All right. We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week. If you're new to Manager Tools, you may not realize that we have, according to a friend of mine who recently shared this with me, we have over 380 podcasts. They're not all available in the normal feed in iTunes, but you can get them easily by going to the Manager Tools website, www.manager-tools.com, and register there. Once you do, you're eligible to get the full registered members feed. The registered members feed, although quite large, has all the podcasts in it. There's instructions on how to subscribe to it in iTunes and other RSS readers on the website. So if you're looking for all those other casts that people keep talking about and you don't know where they are, well, that's how you get them. All right, folks, we'll see you next week.